613 Golfers, welcome to another episode of 613 Golfer Podcast. This week presented to us by Ping Golf Canada and the makers of the new G425 Ping irons, hybrids, drivers, and fairways. Check it all out at ca.ping.com. Well, it's been another week of uh, shutdowns for the golf industry, and um, I know there's nobody happy about it. I get that. Um, I follow Facebook. Uh, I follow Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I may not be the most active on it, but um, I know what everybody's saying. I know what everybody's thinking, and uh, there's a lot of anger, uh, and there's a lot of uh, people upset about it, and I get that, and uh, I understand you needing to lash out and, and whatnot. I just want people not going to get into this too much this week because we've already talked about it frankly enough um and um i think we're talking too much and we need to let the people that uh, are working to make this happen do their job and uh, and get in front of the uh, ford government and plead the case the proper way and um you know, there's always going to be those that want to defy it. There's always going to be those that want to uh, get their voices heard out there on social media and whatnot, and that's fine. But rest assured, um, the uh, the National Allied Golf Asso- uh, Golf Associations, which is the We Are Golf uh, uh, political lobby group, they're they're doing what they can do. Uh, they're the ones that got it back for us the first time. And they're going to get it back for us again. And I think you're going to find, you know, don't nobody quote me on this because I don't really have a super inside track on things. But I think you're going to find that within the next week or so, um, you know, maybe sooner, but, you know, at least within the next week, I think we're probably going to see something happen. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like if it does happen. It may not be fully reopened. It may be partially reopened. It may be some modified restrictions, whatever the case may be. I don't think that this is going to go till May the 20th. Um, I'm hopeful that it's not going to go till May the 20th myself because, you know, obviously we have some some interests in it not going that long, but please, please, please be patient. Um, people are doing what they can to make it happen. And I think you're going to, I think you're going to see something happen um, relatively soon. Uh, that said, um, I want to, uh, while we're on that subject of dates uh, and upcoming dates in May, I know there's been a lot of people asking us about the Flagstick Open and the fact that it is the uh, the uh, May 22nd, 23rd weekend, and uh, we've completely sold out. The waiting list is at about 55 people right now. There are some dropouts here and there, so we are probably going to see, you know, uh, half a dozen or more people get into the event that are sitting on the waiting list right now, but um, it is what it is. We're happy it's sold out, but we're also not happy it's sold out. So, because we want everybody to be able to play. That said, um, we do have a backup date of June 26, 27th. Um, we opted to go with a closer backup date than what we did last year going to August just to keep the event uh, tighter. Plus, we do have something planned for the fall. Uh, I'm not going to give anything away just yet. Uh, it'll be a, a, a September event. Um, it's going to be an interesting and exciting event, um, but I have no details to share just yet. I could share them with you, but I'm not going to just yet. Let's get it all ironed out. Um, now on the subject of uh, tour golf, I know on this show, we said we're not going to talk about uh, uh, tour golf um, per se, but when it involves somebody who's uh, from the 613, well, then that changes everything. And uh, 
Uh, Brooke Henderson continues to do us proud here in the 613 Gulf region, and she's picked up yet another LPGA Tour event. Uh, a little bit of time between this one and her last one, but, uh, you know, firing a little 67 in the final round and, uh, and taking the event by one shot after starting the day four shots back at the LA Open. Um, congratulations, Brooke uh, Henderson, on another victory. And uh, I'm sure now that she's got a little taste of, uh, of victory again, this won't be the last one this year. Uh, so we'll see what happens uh, with her. Now, the OBGA had their AGM. Uh, virtual AGM again this year. And there's a few interesting things that came out of the AGM and then you'll be able to get all the details of this. I can't obviously go into all the details on this show because it would take too long, but you can go to flagstick.com and you will see all the details uh, in the article posted there uh, um, following the AGM. So uh, it's all up there right now, but just in a nutshell, uh, the OVGA, the intersectionals will be back this year. No spectators, no caddies. Uh, um, and uh, but the intersectionals will return for this year. Uh, we also see that there are going it's going to be a uh, um, triple crown champions crown, uh, kind of like a uh, um, you know winning all four majors and getting the grand slam on the on the PGA Tour. This is sort of the triple crown: the the OBGA City and District, the Match Play Championship, and the OBGA Cup in in, in their respective divisions. So, if someone were to win all three. Uh, then they would uh, they'd win the triple crown, and I think that's kind of a cool thing. I mean, it, it's uh, um, it's very possible for somebody to win all three, and it's kind of a neat little accomplishment should they win all three to get something uh, extra awarded to them. So uh, that's an, another thing the OBGA is doing, and obviously the big news uh, from the OBJ for this year, in conjunction with celebrating a hundred years of uh, of organized competitive golf. The OVGA has announced the uh, creation of the Ottawa Valley Golf Association Hall of Fame. Now, we had Drew Lefebvre, who's the tournament director for the OVGA, on a few episodes back talking about the Hall of Fame and some of the details. And it was a little preliminary at that point. It was happening. They were in the selection process. Uh, so it'll be a little bit later this summer. Uh, but the announcements will be made as to who they have selected to the, uh, the first uh, the first group to go into the uh, Hall of Fame. So it'll be, uh, be really cool to hear uh, who they chose and uh, some of the, uh, the explanations as to why they were chose. Uh, details of how you can nominate somebody for uh, the Hall of Fame are not up yet. They are creating that uh, special page on, OB, on obga.org uh, for you to be able to do that. That's also where they're going to host the, uh, the uh, winners and where you'll see all the details and the bios of the people that have won. All right. Well, that uh, kind of sums up a little bit of uh, the week that was, I guess, if you will. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk to somebody very familiar to everybody, uh, a very good friend of mine. I'm not going to tell you who just yet. You're going to have to wait. and We'll be right back in a chip shot. At Ping, our culture of curiosity has been driving innovations for over 60 years. Innovations like the new G425 iron, which brings you greater distance without sacrificing the forgiveness and control you need to play with precision. And with free access to the Arcos Caddy system, you'll play smarter and shoot lower scores. The new Ping G425 iron, better by every measure. Get fit today. Visit ca.ping.com to learn more about G425. All right, well, this week's guest is not a stranger to us, a very uh, well-known individual. 
He has won many junior golf tournaments uh, as a junior, obviously, men's amateur tournaments, professional events, uh, but it's not, uh, he's even been uh, on an NCAA scholarship and played with some very high profile PGA standouts. Um, but uh, this individual is not known specifically for their playing while they are a very good player. They're known for their teaching and the voice that we have heard uh, on the radio for many years now, uh, host of the uh, Tee It Up um, on uh, TSN 1200 and a very good friend of mine, a PGA of Canada national teaching professional, my good friend, Kevin Hain. Welcome to the show, Kevin. How are you today? Doing great. Awesome. Other than not having any place to teach at the moment, but doing well. <laughs> See, seems to be the obvious conversation uh, that I'm having with everybody right now. I sort of started off the show talking briefly about the whole COVID thing, but I'm, I get yeah. to the point where I've done it week after week after week after week. I'm just kind of, I know it's a topic of conversation and then you and I'll get into it a little bit later on as to what you've done there, but um I'm, I'm almost tired of talking about it. Yeah, I think we all are. You know, that's why I think I think there's a little bit of a sense out there, Jeff. People just want to get on with it. Right. I think we know or we feel we know, uh, you know, that if we put our mask on and we're responsible and stay outdoors, we're OK. And I think that's where the frustration of a lot of golfers comes from. Uh, I don't know how you can get more physically isolated than, you know, four guys on a 10 acre hole. So. Um, I think everyone just wants to move on and, and do it responsibly. And, and, you know, golfers all feel that way, but I think the population feels that way. I sure don't see, you know, this lockdown being as the, the streets being em as empty as they were the first and second lockdown. No, right? so people are still out not. and about a little bit. For sure. Which is a good anyway. thing, I guess, <laughs> even though they're supposed to be staying at home, but I guess it's okay to be circulating as long as people are being active and, um, you know, I mean, there's there's going to be sides to the conversation, both two sides to the conversation, and obviously golf being uh, golf being what it is, and that you can stay social distance. I think the bigger issue with golf, at least what I've seen out there and what I've talked about on this show a couple of times now, is that I think people equate the problem with why we're staying home to the golf, and I think it's been made. It's talk talk has been made about. You know, we can stay social distant with golf, and that's true, but it's not the golf so much that's the problem. It's what happens before and after the golf. And I think that's where there's some gray areas to as to whether or not enough people optically, and I say optically because it's not across the board, but optically are doing enough to show that golf can be socially distant not just on the course it's clear that on a golf course four people yeah. can stay away from each other but well, from what i've witnessed it's not that way in the parking lot and that's the part that kind of that's the gray area i think that might be part of the problem but you know that said um i know myself and i'm sure you do as well i know that the, and i talked about it right off the top of the show about naga and and what the we are golf group is doing and and stuff's being done and, yeah, great and, stuff. You and, know, I, I'm really, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm, what am I? I'm 32 years into this business. I've been a PGA Pro 35 now. Uh, I worked for my dad a little bit at the Hunt Club before I got started with Double Deck Golf Center way back in the day. <laughs> but uh, I've been very impressed with all the groups. You know, I, I've been a, a little bit critical of some of the, the things the PGA has done or hasn't done over the years. And same with the National Golf Course Owners Association. You know, I haven't, you know, 
I, I haven't been a huge fan of every decision from any of those bodies really over the years, but I have to say right now, uh, between, you know, Mike Kelly at Golf Ontario is highly visible the last couple of weeks and uh, Greg Chambers here with the NGCOA here and this uh, town has done a great job. PG of Canada, Kevin Thistle and Carol Ann here locally have done a great job. The managers, you know, our industry has really um, advocated. I don't want to say lobbying because lobbying is sounds dirty backroom politics, you know, but they've advocated really well. And uh, I'm happy that they've done it. And I'm even proud of them for doing it. Like, I think yeah. our industry has done really well. And I also think that most businesses, Je Jeff, I know you got the parking lot tailgaters. and But for the most part, I've seen great stuff. You know, you, you, you go up to uh, the gates at Eagle Creek, for example, here in Ottawa. And it's like, if you don't have a tea time, do not enter the property, yeah. right? So yeah. I, I don't think we've kitted around with this thing. Everybody's taken it pretty seriously. There's going to be the odd exception, but... Um, boy, 26 million rounds of golf uh, last year in Ontario and no cases directly tied to golf. And you might get a comment saying, well, I know someone here, but I mean, out of 26 million, it is a drop if it's anything. So it's pretty yeah. good. We've done a good job. Yeah. I, and I think we're close. I really do. Uh, I really do think we're close. I think we're going to see something happen in the next week. Um, you know, I I'm hopeful I, too. I don't you know? have an inside track necessarily on that kind of stuff, but, uh, um, I'm pretty sure that we're going to see something happen in the next. Uh, yeah. The last five, little thing days. on this, and then we can move on to whatever you want to talk about, but you know, I'm noticing it's more political now, Doug Ford uh, and whether I'm a fan or not is irrelevant and, and prime minister Trudeau the same way. Uh, these guys are starting to have to be careful, more careful. It's not purely about what maybe is right to do, but you know, how it will be seen, et cetera. And I, I think Doug Ford's got to be very careful not to favor any industries. And, and maybe that's what we're seeing. But I'm hopeful we'll be, uh, I think May 20th, boy, I, I'd be really shocked if we were closed, you know, all the way to May 20th. I think yeah. we're going to see something happen. As would I, I would agree 100% with that. I think it's going to happen sooner than that, which is great because I got, we got our tournament on the 22nd. So yes. I really like not, golf not to be coming back on the 20th. And then we have the tournament on the 22nd. Clearly, yeah, if, one it, thing if it about comes it, to that, yeah. we won't do it. We will we'll move the date. But um, if we if we're back in the next week, then the tournament will happen as it always is. And, you know, people will be clamoring to get on the golf course for the two weeks leading up to it. Yeah. And one thing about it, Jeff, I don't think it's unfair for one person, one competitor over another. If it opens two days before the event, yeah. no one's able to practice. So exactly. in exactly. essence, it'll almost level the playing field a little bit. Anyway, exactly. so listen, you, you, you kind of threw double deck in there, which is, uh, it's not the most ideal segue, but it, <laughs> at least it does, at least it does draw a little bit of the history. So one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast is that we're, we're talking on this podcast all about 613 golf and, and, and people within the 613 golf region. Um, and it makes sense, obviously. Um, and I'm, you know, sad we didn't get to do it a little bit sooner than this, but I'm glad we got to do it quickly is to get you on here. And I don't really want to get into, I mean, people know who Kevin Haim is. It's not like you're, you know, this invisible person that, Oh, let's get to know who this guy is. What's he all about. Um, but there's sort of some things about you as a teacher. And I just, I just want people to kind of understand how, how maybe it, it got from where you started as you were a top, top level junior golfer, you were a top level men's amateur, you were on an NCAA um, scholarship to Illinois, 
Um, so, so there's the, the history. Like, I don't want to de delve into the childhood, but the path that you took to get from there to where you are here, just, just how it started, like, when did you decide, or did you, did you know what that path was going to be when you took off for NC, uh, for NCAA school, or did it evolve? Yeah, it, it sort of evolved, Jeff. Uh, I, I would say I'm more of a, a, a of an entrepreneur and a businessman more than a pure golf practicer. So even, even as a junior, you know, I, I was always a pretty creative kid and wanted to do different things and just didn't want to hit balls 10 hours a day. And uh, I, I guess in college, I mean, Steve Stricker was a, a teammate of mine. Everyone around here knows that after listening on the radio and everything over the years. But, you know, if you can't beat the guy on your, uh, on your own golf team, what are the odds you're going to be the next Jack Nicholas, right? So I think midway through university, I became aware that being a tour pro maybe wasn't in the cards for me. I also had the benefit of my brother who won the Quebec junior and the Quebec amateur and was, you know, down in, in Australia and playing over in Asia and, and seeing how he was trying to get through that uh, to kind of decide that maybe that wasn't my pathway to jump in a car with almost no money and go around the world and, and try to compete. Uh, we were really ill-prepared when we look back, you know, I, I think uh, Jim Tubman and a couple of guys from the Hunt Club gave my brother $5,000 and off he went. No team, no sports psychologist, you know, no, barely any video really on golf swing. And so it was a tough go. And I can remember uh, being at Stanford, playing, uh, practicing at the Stanford golf, uh, at the golf range uh, back in college. We used to go out, uh, out west for our March break and I got to play, you know, Riviera LA country club and, and the practice facilities at some of these places were great. And it just kind of snuck in there that wouldn't it be cool to, you know, build a big practice center and uh, that had a lot of different amenities, but also even the idea with the double deck was we had heard over in Japan and in Asia, they had these multi-level ranges and I guess what top golf is today really. Right. But um, so it just kind of, morphed into that uh you know chuck browns was around as a discount shop but my dad and mom always taught me to kind of give country club service and attention to detail and everything so i thought well if i open this great practice center and i use all the things my dad and mom had taught me about merchandising and and running it and i had my golf reputation you know I got to tell you the truth, a golf school wasn't even part of the thought process at the time. I was a competitor and wanted to build a big driving range. It kind of happened over the next few years, you know, kind of slowly ha pulled me into it. Yeah. Now, that was the, the other thing I want to talk about was um, obviously the, the plan to um, the plan to to build double deck and, and to go that route was was more of a business, a business model plan. Um, at what point during that, I mean, and what you did at Double Deck was awesome, um, but but what point during that process did something click with you with respect to the teaching side of things? Like, where did that, when did that kind of, because your dad was, your dad taught, obviously, at the Hunt Club, but, you know, but, yeah. but that was not his primary, you know, his primary thing at the Hunt Club. Uh, it was, he, he was all about the merchandising too, obviously winning I don't know, countless merchandise of the years to the point where they yeah. retired that award. But at what point in your um, path with Double Deck did you realize, hey, you know what? I, I think I want to get a little more into this teaching thing. You know, that, like I said, that happened over time, Jeff, where I, I, 
I mean, for whatever weird reason, I, I, I majored in communications at Illinois. I, I was mostly there for golf, I have to be honest. I thought communications would be interesting. And then I ended up doing a radio show and, and, and taught golf, you know. But uh, I, I've always liked talking to people, talking about the game. My teammates and I, under our coach at school, spent an awful lot of time talking about the golf swing and working on our own games, right? You go to class in the morning. We'd have classes from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then we'd go to practice two to seven every day and either play or practice. So there were there were a lot of conversations about golf swing and whatnot. I came home as a good player. You know, I, I won the amateur championship here in town. Then the first year I won the pro championship. But it was really just people. I don't know. I can't remember back whether I just wanted to help people out who were out there struggling or if friends came to me and said, hey, you got a tip or two for me. And as I did it a little bit, I just saw that the communication was getting across to people and it was kind of fun. And, uh, you know, what was pretty basic to me, basic stuff, because I learned with my dad as a golf pro, grip stance, posture alignment, most people didn't have a clue, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s about so many details. It's before YouTube, it's before all kinds of instruction on TV and everything. So, uh, I, I don't know how I got drawn into it, but I do know from a business perspective at a certain point, you know, the retail end of it was going okay, but it wasn't exploding. And, uh, you know, I, I just thought, you know, this is a, this is a thing that we can do here to develop this thing, this part of the business into something. And it's just taken off ever since. I mean, that's 32 years ago now, and it's been a straight staircase up since then. Well, it's clear too with, uh, you know, with what you've done with the Kevin Haim Golf Center and where it's located now, obviously double that closed, you know, the land, the land is what yeah. the land is now. Everybody knows what's sitting on the, on the land now. Yeah. Um, but uh, when you built the Kevin Haim Golf Center, obviously all of those things with respect to teaching were put into that facility that it wasn't, you know, that facility is not just about a driving range that the teaching side of what you do became the focal point of what you built there. Yeah. So that was 1999. My, my investors closed us down at double deck. Uh, you know, they had some buyers for the land and, and the kind of rent we were paying. I mean, it was ridiculous to even consider staying there when, when they had an opportunity to sell the land. Uh, Dean Brown was a good friend of mine too. And Dean is the guy who got me into the, still is my best buddy. Dean, uh, kind of said, look, make it the Kevin Haim Golf Center. Like, you're what the other people don't have, your reputation as a teacher and a player. And I, I felt really weird about it, but, you know, we just decided to do the Kevin Haim thing. Uh, so that really happened from that perspective, you know, where, where Dean had that idea. And then I, I won the National Teacher of the Year in 2000. So it's voted on by all your peers in the PGA, your different... Um, you know, sections, if you will, different zones, I guess. And I won the national award right when we were building this place. And as you know, we had a, a mini putt at Double Deck and we were going to build a mini putt where the short game area is. And I, I can remember saying to my wife, Lisa, you know, you can't be a national teacher of the year and, and not have an area to teach bunker shots and chipping and pitching. So that kind of is what really made us focus on our two acre short game complex here and have everything you'd need to really be a, you know, a, a Canada level or a world level teaching uh, place. And so that's what we did. 
So now from a philosophy standpoint, obviously you've been teaching for a long time now and you've been in the, you know, the instruction game for a long time. What have you seen as a teacher um, and sort of what philosophies have you sort of developed that, that maybe have changed over the years and maybe have stayed the same? Well, my own philosophies, I, I've learned more always. And I look back at things I might've said to somebody, you know, 20 years ago and said, Ooh, that wasn't quite right on the mark, you know, but I certainly think we've helped everybody as we've gone along. And we're all as human beings, always learning as we move forward. I would say though, Jeff, I, I haven't been a system guy or a stack and tilt is now trendy. And now this is trendy. You know, I, I'm pretty proud of the fact that I've been, you know, PGA manual basics, athleticism and balance since day one. Uh, of course, technology has made it teaching so different. I mean, I used to write with a whiteboard pencil on a tube TV to show them, you know, put a circle around their head or whatever to show them, you know, the movement. And of course, today we've got uh, incredible high def, uh, high speed video cameras. We've got slow motion of every tour pro we can replay for people and compare them to that. We've got, we, we here at the golf center have gears 3d motion capture, which is, you know, creating an avatar out of a suit with all kinds of markers on it. So the, the advent of launch monitors and videos and software and 3d motion capture has made me and my whole team here much better teachers, but the philosophy of where you put the ball between your feet and how you got to work on posture lines and balance that really hasn't changed too, too much. And I, I'm actually pretty proud of that. I love looking at some of our old flagstick tips, you know, and saying, <laughs> yeah, I still teach that exact same concept today, you know, and I think that's a positive, uh, you know, many, many young teachers today are trying to prove to each other on social media how smart they are by, you know, making it sound extremely technical or using an incredible amount of data to explain something that Harvey Penick, you know, got Tom Kite to win the U.S. Open and Ben Crenshaw to win the Masters, having them swing a weed whacker, you know. So I, I don't want to belittle technology and data and, and knowledge is wealth. I totally agree with that. But, you know, we've got to remember what our client knows and we've got to, we've got to you know, give them the information they need and not just spew out everything we know. So it's a big part of our teaching philosophy here too. Now, we talked uh, a little bit before about about your dad and uh, dad peter and um yeah. and i'm just wondering is there anything that as a as a young lad growing up um and even as a young adult getting into the business obviously your dad would have would have steered you a little bit in the the direction that you needed to go but is there anything that you would have that your dad might have told you about golf about the golf swing about like anything within the industry that that you would have latched onto and still kept as something, you know, in the top of your mind uh, today? Yeah, you know, Jeff, I mean, my dad was a, uh, he was very curious about the golf swing. He went down to see Jimmy Ballard in Alabama way back in the 70s. And, you know, he, he was, my dad was, he lived and breathed golf. And he was just devouring any information he could get. And that's really the thing he taught me. He taught me that, you know, if it's your life's work, you just can't work too hard, you know, and uh, you got to embrace things and just dive in. He had a couple of funny sayings. I mean, he wasn't the best money guy. He used to say, bite off more than you can chew and chew like hell. 
You know, that was one of the things my dad used to say, which that that kind of typified his life. He wasn't he just you know, he went all in and, you know, uh, so that was one thing he, he taught me a work ethic. And, you know, I think you need that work ethic. I, I, I heard a, a thing from Mark Cuban a few years ago who said, you got to run your business every day, 24 hours a day, like someone's trying to steal it from you because they probably are, you know, there are competitors out there wondering how they can topple you or how they can, you know, beat you in the business market. And, and you've got to work at something and just, stay working at it. So that that was one thing my dad taught me. And he really taught me that by example. I mean, I wouldn't say he worked me to death as a teenager, but he and my mom, you know, kind of set the template for what Lisa and I have done, which is you can't go in too early, you can't stay too late, and there's not a detail you really shouldn't be paying attention to if you can. So uh, he did that. And then the other thing my dad taught me, I think, is, you know, and this might sound a little harsh, but I used to say to another funny one, nobody ever drowned in sweat. My dad was like, man, you can't work too hard. If you're struggling with your golf swing, go back to the range, you know, go work it out. I don't want to hear it. So he was kind of a tough guy that way. Uh, but he, he also, you know, he, he had a way about him that uh, I was really proud of my dad and he won all those awards and everything. And so kind of copying what he did was, you know, came very naturally to me. And the last thing I would say that he said to me, and, and, you know, and I think a lot of parents need to hear this one today. He used to tell me I wasn't that special. I had to go out and work for whatever I got. You know, I, I think, I mean, I'm not talking about Gen Z or whatever, but a lot of people tell their kids they can do anything they want. And, you know, parents call and advocate for kids all the time and make excuses. And my dad was not that guy. My dad was like, look, you're no special than the next guy. If you want to get more than him or beat him at golf, you got to work harder. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like some of that. You know, some of it might be a little bit harsh, but uh, that was his generation too, right? My dad and I never had big hugs and I love you sessions. It just wasn't the way he was wired. And, uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now who say, yeah, my dad was exactly like that in that generation. No question. That's the way it was. And my, you know, I, I, I agree. I mean, my dad was the same way. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously a little, a little different with my kids, uh, kind of somewhere in the middle, maybe a little, a little, a little more, uh, passionate at times and a little more huggy and, and whatnot. Yeah, but, and I uh, think, you know, I think Jeff, we've learned that from our dads. Right. And I do too. Listen, I, I don't want to sound harsh here. The, the two points I'd like to make is, you know, throw yourself into whatever you do and do your best at it. Number one. And number two, don't expect anyone to give you anything. You go, you go out and work harder than the next guy to get it. And I think those are both really positive things, but should my dad and I have had like a more special relationship based on, I call my kids, I call my kids uh, every day. And I, we say, I love you at the end of our phone call. It's a totally different relationship than I had with my dad, but I, I just think you got to be careful not to tell your kids that stuff's easy or whatever, because as you know, running a business for 25 years, it's not right. Well, and nothing and, and, and you know, nothing could be more um, pertinent than than talking about that right now, the way the way things have been for the past year everything that we've the hard work side of things has never been more evident in, in you know not just I've, I've seen what you've done 
Um, I know what I've done to try to make adjustments to, to try to keep things working and, yeah. uh, and other business owners trying to do the same things. And yes, some have gone into business and some have, you know, basically just washed the hands and said, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm not working this hard to keep this thing going. Yeah. Um, but nothing is more evident than, than putting in the hard work and the sweat than the way it is now, the, the way things are going yeah, now. What? I, I do think though, I mean, sometimes there's no way out, right? I, I, yeah. I don't want to talk, like some of those business owners may look at their model and go, man, you know, how are we going back to a model where you can touch everything and or whatever it is, right? I don't know what their reason would have been for their decision, but I don't want to say I'm any tougher than anyone else. But, you know, we sat at our dining room table when COVID hit, Jeff, Lisa and I, and uh, it was like being back when the kids were babies and we were at the dining room table in the winter asking companies not to bill us till spring, right? Because we had no cash flow and struggling away. We were kind of back to the dining room table going, oh, here now what are we going to do? And we actually redesigned our entire model here at the golf center in the course of two months. And I actually like what we've come up with. I, I actually think in a weird way, some of COVID has been a blessing because we re-looked at our model here and I think we've come up with a better one. So, but yeah, it, it took a lot of creativity. All of our, as you know, all of our entrepreneurial experience had to go into figuring out our way through this thing. Well, I remember, I remember, you know, obviously, you know, we've, all, we've talked about, you know, the fact that we're in our 25th anniversary season. And I remember, and I'm sure you do too, the first time I came in, uh, to double that golf center and and sat in your office with the Mickey Mouse golfer poster on the on the wall <laughs> in your office and it's I remember in the, in the corner exactly it was one of the things that you uh, that you said to me and you know if, if if I'm ever interviewed years years and years and years down the road and somebody asks me oh is there anything anybody ever said to you uh, that that you still like I just said to you it, that you still remember today and and it was that I sat in your office I sat in that chair I was intimidated as hell um, you know, because I was That's like funny. this wet behind the ears, you know, kid trying to start a golf magazine and I'm sitting there talking to you and, and you said, just remember something that what you're doing is not just a business, it's a lifestyle. And, yep, and I still kind of remember that. I remember that today is like, you know, it's not just about a business. It's everything else that you do, the image that you portray, you know, the, the, what you do by having a, your logo on your hat or your shirt or driving a decent car, or, you know, the way you portray yourself and how, how you portray your business is it's, it's, it's a lifestyle as well as running a business. And I still remember that today. And I'm pretty sure you remember that conversation too, but that is when you bought the back cover and we're never off it again yeah. until this year. <laughs> well now there's no back cover right so i think uh except for this year we're digital yeah you know i i've we've had a great partnership jeff i mean uh i've put a lot of work and sweat equity into writing those tips and doing stuff and you've been a great partner out on the road i mean i think if both people work hard great things happen you know and i i, I dedicate i don't get I don't, I don't think it's responsible necessarily, but I think a lot of the advertising and marketing things we've done with you have sure helped. So it's been a win-win, right? Which is what a relationship should be. I exactly. mean, we've exactly. given you guys a lot. You've given us a lot and you've actually given the, the industry here in Ottawa a lot. And I even see value in that, you know, which may not be the, uh, a pure business decision, but I can't imagine, uh, 
the Ottawa golf scene without flag stick in it reporting on on everything so you've done your job and we've worked really hard and done our job it's been a great relationship you know but but I agree with what I said to you back then like you know now I would like to say this I mean I had great parents who who taught me a work ethic and gave me a great childhood at growing up the hunt club playing golf and working and learning the business my wife Lisa is a rock star I mean (laughs) Ain't that the truth? With Trish, you know, you can't do this by yourself. And, you know, if if Lisa had been an accountant and was in an office somewhere and I was working 13 hour days and all this would have, I don't know how it would have turned out, but it's very difficult. I mean, if you're in the golf business, your spouse and your whole family need to understand too that, you know, I mean, you got to make hay while the sun shines, kind of right. It's Mm -hmm. harvest season of those little white golf balls and, and you got to be willing to go and and get it done. And you need a good partner to do that. And I've sure had, I've had a great partner in in my uh, business life, you know. So it's been awesome from that perspective too. Yeah, that you have. Now, one last thing, Kevin, before I let you go. Um, what's next? I mean, here here we are. You know, you've come. You know, we're coming through a, a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Your business model has changed a little bit. But what's what's next for Kevin Haim and the Kevin Haim Golf Center? Well. That's a great question. I mean, we've, we were first to bring power tea to Canada. We, we brought gears, 3d motion capture. You know, I bought my first launch monitor in 2004. I, I think, you know, one thing I would like on my tombstone is, you know, we, we were, uh, we were innovators, right? We didn't sit still and, you know, we're still the only ones in Canada of certain things that we have here at the golf center. So, We'll innovate. I don't know how yet. I don't know how long we'll be here at this location. You know, we got houses building up beside us. We got to figure out some details about that. But I know my son, Jake, is is doing an awesome job. And uh, he's as passionate as I am. I go home at night now at 637 and he's here locking up at 10. So, you know, he he gets it and loves it. And uh, we'll probably put him a little more at the forefront and then, you know, gee whiz, I, I don't have a crystal ball, Jeff, but one, one thing I've changed my attitude about a lot, I used to say, you know, nets were for fishing. If people just go inside and whack balls into a net in the winter, you know, they, they might get worse. They might get worse and come out shanking everything because they're only hitting the ball six, seven feet. But with launch monitors and all the data you can get when you practice in the winter, I think I think our industry is changing. So the influence will be more indoors than outdoors actually. And as Canadians, I think we're suited, you know, uh, maybe to, uh, you know, have a, a, a big indoor golf school that has all the tech, right? And I know there's some of them out there already. There are some good indoor golf schools in, in Ottawa and I'm not making an announcement that we're about to do this or anything, but I could certainly see sort of a really innovative, high tech kind of indoor golf experience being part of our next facility or the next chapter in our existence. It doesn't mean that you don't have to, you know, have a golf center and you don't have to have great course partners to do playing lessons and everything. But, you know, I, I kind of been more intrigued a little now with the idea of uh, having all kinds of simulation and data points and club testing and everything, right? And and that's what's really changed. I mean, that was unfathomable 15 years ago. And, and now I think it's possible. Well, there you go. Well, Kevin, what about listen. you? What about well, you? 
Let me put you on the hook for a second. Put me on the spot. See, this is is supposed to be me interviewing you, right? I know that. that's your how, how awesome is it to change the tape to change the uh the, the whole table here and, and switch everything around it's like okay now i'm the one with the microphone in front of me and you're the one on the other side there and i'm the one asking the questions what about us you know i mean much like you and much like a lot of other businesses covid covid forced us to change our model um yeah. we had no choice we couldn't print a magazine simple as that we there was no place to distribute it and even to this day even as as golf came back and then disappeared again and now on the brink of of coming back again that doesn't change anything for us you still can't go into a clubhouse and sit down and have a meal you still can't go into a pro shop more than one person at a time and pay for your green fee if they're even letting you in the pro shop at all um retail is curbside or it's minimal people allowed in the store at any given time i can't put magazines on a counter at your driving range anymore in the window because you don't want people coming to the window yeah so so we were forced, obviously, to, to say, okay, well, we're digital only. Now, what that also taught us is that from a digital perspective, a digital magazine can get a significant amount of readership and it never replaces print. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is and it's not going to. But the website side of what we do now seems to be more and more of the, um, you know, and this, things like this podcast, the the voice the way that we can deliver that voice so where flagstick launched in 1996 and it was the voice of golf uh in the region things like this podcast become part of everything and become another piece of that voice so now i'm talking on youtube and on on podcasts like apple Podcasts and spotify talking about golf within this region the way i did in 1996 when i launched that magazine and built it up Will we go back to print? My gut tells me no. Um, my heart tells me I'd like to, but my gut's telling me after two years, potential, well, it will be after two years at the end of this season of not doing a print issue, chances of going back in 2022 and doing a print issue again are probably slim to none, but I'm not, I'm not going to rule it out. Yeah. Um, but the long-term model that we're, we're f- facing now is that we're, we're a digital product, whether it's a digital magazine, whether the digital magazine part of what we do exists beyond this year, or we become just a website and just a podcast and, and do all these special things. We might do special publications as opposed to committing to doing magazines all the time. Yeah. Um, I see that, Jeff. The other one you haven't mentioned, and I think it's so critical is social media for you guys. I mean, yeah. Uh, Scott McLeod, you guys are lifetime best friends, I know. I mean, this guy uh, is a great follow on Twitter, and and you get so much great information out of Scott and out of, fla- let's call it out of Flagstick instead mm-hmm. of just out of Scott. But, uh, you know, I, I think all of those venues give us everything we need. It, it makes you, you know, it's like me, right? Uh, you don't know what your model's going to be, but, I mean, at, at its heart, at its center, I'll be teaching golf and trying to help golfers and you'll be reporting on golf and, you know, and giving news to golfers. Right. And we'll just figure out what the world looks like. We might be doing holographs of each other in 15 more years, Jeff, you know, can you imagine that that would be uh, yeah, that would be kind of, listen, I I've said that seriously to my son, Jake, like in 15 years, I wouldn't be surprised if you video someone and then you can have them appear as a 3D rendering in a studio and walk around them 
and and show them where the club is and everything right and god when i look at his potential jake's potential at 28 you know the things he knows compared to what i knew at, at, at at 28, I knew how to get a ball in the hole and I knew how to kind of communicate to people and connect with them. But, you know, we didn't have all the data and everything. So as we move forward, it's going to it's going to be more and more interesting. Right. I'm well, always Jake, excited. I'm always excited about the future. That's for sure. Well, Jake's got a thirst, too. And that's the you know, and, and some teachers, some teachers do it because, you know, they they'd rather teach or they can't make enough money playing and they want to have their own thing. Uh, some teach because they have a it's just a passion and yep. jake doesn't only that doesn't just have the passion the way you did he also has the thirst for knowledge and yep. that reminds me that reminds me a lot of uh i mean i wasn't around you the whole time when you were going through it so i don't know what your thirst for knowledge was but from scott's perspective that's what scott's like as, yes, as a very person much so. it's just this constant need to know more and the, the digging in, I might mention something to Scott about something. And next thing you know, at two o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting downstairs watching TV. Yes, I'm usually up at two in the morning. Um, and I'm I'll not. get an, I'm I'll, not. <laughs> not anymore. Um, <laughs> and I'll get an email or a text from Scott. And it'll say, uh, yeah, I just did some research on this. And, 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 and I'm like, what the hell? Like, dude. Yeah. It was just a thought. It was just, you know, but it's like, I, I got to know. I got to know what, what this does. And, and I see that in Jake when I talk to him and when I see him, it's just this, I got to know more. I got to know more about that. And that will, that will serve him well. And he'll go a long way in the industry and as a golf teacher because of it. Yeah. You know what? And lucky, right? Like sometimes generations take a sidestep or go backwards even. I mean, my mom and dad started... 30 bucks going to Daytona beach for the month. Right. And, and like, uh, bringing sandwiches in the car, no money, no money. My dad was the assistant at the hunt club. I built this great business and had, had, I mean, I don't think anyone in golf's making a ton of money, but I've had moderate success financially. I'm very secure. You know, after 32 years, Lisa and I, we got our house paid off. Everything's good. And now Jake has the same opportunity to take our brand and everything. Right. And to, and to move it to, and it's not about the money, but just another success and size level. And it is neat to watch for sure. And you're right. People like Scott, people like you, people like me, um, you have your dark little moments where you, you question yourself or whatever, but I, I'm a pretty enthusiastic. I can get the job. I guess that's my dad, right? Bite off more. You can chew and chew like hell. Mm -hmm. I, I've always been that guy. I, I've never been scared to try something. I mean, our, the radio show, I just went in there. I remember I wrote out 47 pages of text for my first radio show. And I literally spit up in my mouth, like just before going on air, I was so nervous, but that would never stop me from doing something. Like I did it and it's turned into a great part of our brand and, uh, you know, and the marketing of our brand, but also just to be a neat thing for golf in Ottawa, that radio show has been around so long, but I, you know, Scott's the same. You're the same, Jeff. Like you're, you're always looking for ways to do things and improve things. And it's really important. It's good stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. And it's, a, you know, um, it, like I said, it's been a great partnership that we've had with you over the years. And, and, you know, I mean, I know I've learned a lot about the golf business from you and, uh, and you've pointed me in the right direction to a lot of people, uh, you know, over the years, it's helped me build what we've built and, and being a big part of it through the instruction side of things and being a, 
a supporter of it through, you know, as a financial supporter of the magazine through the marketing side has been, you know, that's the only part I question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't question it at all. I think it's been great. And I think you should do more. (laughs) Can we rethink that? Can we have another look at that whole thing? No, no, we've already established the, uh, the long-term, uh, the long-term plan. Interestingly enough, I, I mean, got to keep, you know, I, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> I knew that we'd be, we'd, we'd be talking like a couple of old men on the, you know, up in the bleachers <laughs> at the Muppets or something there. But interestingly enough, we talked about the instruction and in all the articles that you've written. And, and this year, obviously we got, we got forced into trying something different. Yeah, and, different. Uh, and I think, you know, I look at numbers, I'm a numbers guy, and I look at feedback, and the feedback on what we did in the first issue has been phenomenal. The numbers on what we did in the first the first issue have been phenomenal as far as the readership, uh, because we did it right. as a video, you know, being on YouTube, and the number of views that it's had on there, plus, you know, being posted on the website, the number of views that it's had there has been just that the whole concept of doing it, you know, looking back at an old tip, but instead of writing it or just taking that tip and publishing it, say, here, have a read, look at these pictures. You know, we did it as a video series or start of a video series. Yeah. And, and I think it, it looked great and, and it's been received extremely well. And really, you know, we talk about where's, where are things going? That's another one of the things that you evolve is, okay, well, people want to pop up their phone and watch a tip. Big time. Not, not necessarily open up a magazine and read it, to, you know, and then go to the range with their tip and read it. They could just pop up things on their phone. That's just the nature of where we're at. It doesn't kill the fact that print is still a popular thing for golf, maybe as a niche market, but it doesn't change the fact that we're we're going into a different era here. And, and once again, there's a situation where we've evolved and we've evolved with you doing this. And I think it's going to be amazing this year, you know, through the season, doing it with the video instead of the audio. Or instead yeah. Of the you know, for a few years now, Jeff, we made a decision. I do these quick tips on uh, Twitter and these tip Tuesdays, you know, and we send them out to our mailing list and whatnot. They're extremely popular. People like that. And, you know, I keep them very simple and very, like I say, timeless. I don't want, I don't want to be looking back at a tip and go, Oh, that was this phase where I thought this system was better. Right. So, it's all based on athleticism and balance. And actually that tip, you know, the funny you say that, I'm really looking forward to filming the rest of them with you guys, but th- that, and I say it in the video, people should watch the video if they haven't seen it yet, but Jake and I are there and and that poster of the grip yeah. that is that I, I kind of propped up against my golf bag in the tip, that is still in both my studios here at the golf center. And we wrote it, I, I think, what was that? Was that uh, 99 or 2000? It was 2000, like yeah. five years. Anyways, our first tip was the one out of the first five years. And I still feel the exact same way about the grip as I did then, you know, and I think that's a good thing. Now, I, I, I maybe explain, you know, uh, medial pads and distal pads a little more with a little bit more, uh, a little bit more thoroughness and knowledge after all these years, you know, but basically that tip has stood the test of time. And I think our next one, you don't even know this yet, but one <laughs> Break, of my favorite, breaking news, everybody I'm finding out for the first time too. Oh, one of my favorite ones we already did was spring load your backswing. Yes. You know, and when people ask me about my teaching philosophy, it's body first. Like as much as I love all the data out of launch monitors and track men and everything, um, you know, if your body moves properly, 
you got a lot better chance to have the golf club moving properly. So instead of looking at the club face data, let's get the body moving the right way. And I've taught all my young teachers over the years to start at the inside and work out towards the, towards the ball. And anyway, spring load is a big part of my teaching philosophy always, which is to kind of wind yourself up in your backswing in balance. And I think, I don't know what year, that might've been 2002 or three. Yeah. I've got that little dry mount. Like we did a two pager. I do remember it. So it's got the little yellow uh, uh, swoosh on the side. Yeah, of I think it, I'm think, throwing yeah. a Frisbee in one of the pictures. So yeah. have some fun doing that video this month. That'll be yeah, good. That will be awesome. All right. Well, Kevin, let's end on that. Um, I want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast and doing this with the, with me. And uh, you know, it's always great to talk to you, but it's always, now it's a good opportunity for us to share uh, a little bit more about a you old in the man past. Looking and, back, huh? a couple exactly. old men looking back. Exactly. Well, thanks very much, Kevin. Can oh, you what's that? how old we are? I'm not even saying how old we are. I can't believe how old we are. There's something wrong here. There's, uh, <laughs> the sad part is we're as old as we are, and we're still doing things the way we, you know, yeah. and, and working as hard as we did, uh, you know, back in, you know, for me in 1996, and for you, it, it goes back uh, a little bit further than that yet. Uh, yeah, but you we're know still what? doing it. No regrets, man. No regrets. You know, none at all. None at all. I, uh, it's been awesome. Okay, great, all great right. partnership, great friendship. Thanks, Jeff. All right, thanks very much, Kevin. We'll talk to you soon. You got it. All right. Well, that was a great little conversation with Kevin. I'm glad that we had the opportunity to do that. Uh, Kevin and I go way, way back, obviously, to the inception of the magazine, and and um, you know we're good friends. And it's nice to get him on to this show. It's a bit of a turn turning of the tables, as I alluded to there, that uh, I'm so used to going on Kevin's show on Tee It Up uh, for for the last number of years, and and getting interviewed by Kevin about things that are going on within the region. It was kind of nice to bring him onto this podcast and, and talk with all of us and, uh, you know, about his journey, um, about, you know, how he got from, from where he started to where he is, but not really digging into the history side of it so much as it is the path and the journey that, uh, that got to where he is now. So uh, thanks very much to Kevin for coming on and doing that. And I'm sure obviously Kevin will be a part of future episodes of this show for, uh, for a while to come. Now, um, Keeping the show moving along here, we have our favorite hole uh, in the 613 contest that we've been running. Uh, we've done two weeks of it now. We're entering the third week. And this week, uh, Brad Trellis from Ottawa submitted uh, his selection, and we drew it at number four at Smuggler's Glen. Um, obviously an awesome hole, um, as many of the, as all of the holes that have been uh, submitted to us. We can only pick one every week, obviously, but number four at Smuggler's Den is, is quite memorable, especially if you're standing up on that tee and looking down uh, at a rock face that uh, you don't think you can get to, but you can. A bunker that you don't think that you can get to, but you can. And then once you get and negotiate that uh, tee shot, then you're left with uh, some very big decisions to make with your second shot on that par five. So great selection, Brad. And we'll be sending you uh, two passes to play Smuggler's Glen this summer. So thanks for that. And thanks to everybody who keeps make, uh, sending in the submissions. Uh, if you want to get a submission in, you want to have a shot at getting your name drawn uh, for those two passes. Uh, it's not always going to be at Smuggler's Glen, but that's what we have right now. And uh, you can send those submissions to jbotter at flagstick.com, along with a photo if you have one. Uh, in a lot of cases, we have the photos, but if you have one, so jbotter at flagstick.com, send those submissions to us along with your name, uh, the course, and the whole number that you are submitting for. Um, well, 
we're going to go back to Kevin now because it's time for another quick tip. We want to head out to the lesson tee and see what uh, what our good friend Kevin Heem has uh, to help us with in our golf swing this week. All right, golfers. I'm out here at the Kevin Heem Golf Center in my short game complex. Time for another chipping quick tip. And uh, we've talked in the past about hitting down through that shot properly, keeping the weight forward. Today we're talking about not letting those hands break down. A lot of times I watch people try to chip and they they cup this wrist and they end up hitting skull shots and miss hitting shots. Very easy little fix. Coffee stir sticks. You can use a pen or a pencil. I just don't want you stabbing yourself though. Put it in your glove like that, just running up your lead wrist. And then when you hit your little chip shot, that'll give you a little reminder not to cup and break down that wrist. It really works. It helps me a lot. I even use it when I'm practicing. Something down your lead hand glove and then you allow your swinging motion to bump that golf ball onto the green, you don't get any breakdown. Next time you're practicing here at the Kevin Haim Golf Center, give it a try. Well, there you go. Another another great tip from Kevin. Um, you know, all these tips, I'm sure that by the time we actually do get to play golf, we'll all be such great golfers. We'll be ready to go for the season. So uh, maybe some of you can do like I've done and actually get a net to put in the backyard so we can work on our swings while we're not able to play golf. Anyways, that's about it for this week. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Kevin Heem, for coming on and uh, being a part of, uh, of this show. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Ping uh, Golf Canada, uh, for uh, supporting the show this week and uh, for, for future weeks as well. I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening and watching on YouTube if that's where you're, uh, if that's where you're checking us out. Remember, uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can go to flagstick.com. You can check out any episode that we have done. And uh, whenever we release a new episode, you can check them out there. Uh, be sure to also check out the, the spring issue of Flagstick uh, Golf Magazine at flagstick.com as well. You can subscribe to the channel on YouTube. We do encourage that. We're trying to get more subscribers built up on that channel so we can do some other things as well. So subscribe to us on YouTube. Click the notification bell to make sure that you get notified whenever we drop a new episode. And uh, yeah, so I hope that we have some better news come next week when we release the show and uh, that maybe we're golfing again, but or at least we're maybe we're getting a little closer. So until then... Have a great week. This has been Jeff Botter from Flagstick Golf Magazine, the 613 Golfer Podcast. And always remember, go for the stick.